Hello and welcome to the Cinema Judge. To all my regular judge heads out there, welcome back. And if you're new to the show, welcome aboard. And for you new people, this is what we do in a nutshell. I give you the evidence to a movie and you make up your own mind if you like it or not. I'm not going to tell you to see something, not see something, or I'm not going to criticize actors or anything like that. That's not what we do here. We like movies and we like to share movies with you. It's like a movie oasis. And if you like the show, tell a friend, share it, give it five stars or whatever stars you feel is adequate, but share the show if you like it. The more the merrier. But now today, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to go back and visit a couple movies that I really enjoy. The first is the 1991 Albert Brooks comedy, Defending Your Life. It stars Albert, Albert Brooks himself, Meryl Streep. I mean, come on, Meryl Streep. What a class act. And the unbelievably talented Rip Torn. And then we're going to talk about the 1969 Western classic, The Wild Bunch. That's directed by Sam Peckinpah and starring William Holden, Ernest Borgnine, Robert Ryan, Edmund O'Brien, Warren Oates, and Ben Ben Johnson, just to name a few. But up first, it's Defending Your Life. I absolutely love this gem of a movie. I feel it deserves a little more extra love. But here's the official tagline. In an afterlife, way station, resembling a major city, the lives of the recently deceased are examined in a court-like setting. Now, I get it. You're probably asking yourself, what? (laughs) What is this movie about? Well, hear me out. The movie starts off with Daniel Miller. It's his 39th birthday, and it's played by Albert Brooks. He's driving down the road, singing a nice little tune. Some of the paperwork next to him falls down. He reaches down to try to put it back up on a, uh, you know, the seat. All of a sudden, he looks up, and here comes a bus. And then, wham, it, you know, the screen goes to white. And then we cut to, <laughs> he's sitting in a wheelchair with all these other people being pushed down this hallway. And it's soon after we find out he's in Judgment City, where it's always 74 degrees and sunny every day. So coming up next, we're going to play the trailer from Defending Your Life. Now, The audio might not be so pretty, but it's a really old trailer, so bear with me, but this is the trailer for Defending Your Life. From the beginning of motion picture history, Hollywood has tried to show you what the afterlife is really like. Good afternoon and welcome to Judgment City. Do you have any idea what's going on? No. Well, in a nutshell, you're here to defend your life, and I'm going to help you. Defend my life? Finally. Wow. The first true story of what happens after you die. Where am I? Is this heaven? No, it isn't heaven. Is it hell? Actually, there is no hell. Although I hear Los Angeles is getting pretty close. 
ever tell you you carry yourself very stiffly? Leave me alone, I'm dead. That's life. Albert Brooks. You make me think of my little Buddha. Meryl Streep. I think I might have been a heavy set man at one time. <laughs> Rick Lauren. Lee Grant. Buck Henry. In a new film by Albert Brooks. So I'm on trial for being afraid. Well, first of all, I don't like to pull into trial. Second of all, yes. If you see one movie before you die. I love you. I love you. This is damn exciting stuff. See, defending your life. Most people love it. Solid makes nauseous. Don't worry about it. Well, that was a trailer for Defending Your Life. It really gets, you know, sets up the tone there. It really is a funny movie. And his dialogue, the way he delivers his lines, Albert Brooks, is just <laughs> incredible. In the cast, just amazing. So in Judgment City, you're given an attorney who tries to convince the court that you're ready to move on to the next phase of life or afterlife. You know, most of the staff, they're, they kind of look down on them. They're, they're condescending and look down on the new arrivals whose recent lives on earth are judged in a week-long hearing. Each person has two judges presiding over their case. So while they're sitting there, the defense is trying to, you know, hey, hey this guy has done good or this woman's done good. Look, look at how he overcame all these issues. And then the prosecutor also pitches their case in presenting evidence to say, no, 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 this person has not learned enough. They need to go back and do better in order to move on. But Daniel's defense attorney is Bob Diamond. No, just that name alone, Bob Diamond. It just sounds so what the character is. And it's played brilliantly by Rip Torn. Rip Torn was a master of his craft and knocks the character out of the park. He keeps telling Daniel how the people of Earth use so little of their brains only 3 to 5%. And if you use more than 5%, you don't want to be on Earth. Believe me, says Bob. Bob makes it a point to keep sharing how huge his brain is and how what percentage his brain is capable of using. <laughs> it's just like, well, I use this much percentage of my brain. You only use that. It, it, when you hear him say it, it is just priceless. Now, according to Bob, his attorney, he says that humans spend most of their time functioning based on fear. In court, Bob will try to convince the judges that Daniel has overcome and conquered his fears, which he will then be sent on to the next phase of existence. But if he fails, his soul will be reincarnated on Earth to live another life in another attempt at moving past his fears. Okay, but this is the rub. This is just the buzzkill of buzzkills. This is not like your typical courtroom scene or things you see on Law & Order or whatever shows you watch or movies you watch. They show evidence of your life. They have this TV prompter or you know TV screen, and they go, Your Honors, here's an example of so-and-so not being you know where they should be. They're acting on fear. So they project the actual scene, everything that happens. Because we all know, when we're all telling a story, we edit. We self-edit things to make ourselves look a little bit better, or what have you, or else we don't want to be so embarrassed, you know, when we tell a story, yeah, yeah, I did this, and I tripped and fell. In these videos that they show, it's actually what happened. You can't talk your way out of that at all. You could try, 
and he does. <laughs> it's really fun to watch that. You, your heart goes out to the poor guy. But imagine that. Here you are sitting there, all these people who are super intelligent, and they're watching you act like a, you know, sometimes a fool because of your fear. You know, I just want to go on record saying that wouldn't be very fun at all. But that's what sets this movie apart in my mind. Because it could tackle some really heavy issues, well, not heavy, but kind of big issues, with such a gentle touch. Make you laugh at it and just think, wow, what would I do? How would I feel? You know, because we all go through day-to-day life going, okay, haha, no one saw that. But imagine that act of is, is projected in front of you, in front of everybody. You're like, man, that would be ugly. Because I know, for one, this movie you know, talks about dealing with your fear you know, what you do or don't do based on that. We all have probably dozens of stories that we could share that I didn't do this because I was afraid. I did this because I was afraid. And having that projected to you and like, yeah, 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 I get it. I, I messed up. But that's sometimes I like to ponder about this movie. If I'm going through my day-to-day life, I'm like, huh. Yeah, I just wonder if uh, if they had to project this later on. And how do you how do you defend it? Anyway, it's just it just that's what really sets this movie apart. This makes you think little thoughts like that. It's kind of fun. But wait, there's more. During his trial, Daniel meets Julia, played by Meryl Streep. Julia has lived what seemingly is a perfect life of courage, generosity, especially compared to his life. They show clips of her running to a burning building, saving the day, being just basically just a perfect person. And he looks at that, he's like, oh my goodness, you're just insanely awesome. Um, Look at me. So eventually, their their trials are going on at the same time. So after each one is done, they start hanging out. They start going here and there, just, you know, becoming friends and just learning about each other. And those are really kind of fun conversations to see. It's just seeing the banter. So what they do, they start exploring Judgment City, including, and this place is great, the Pavilion of Past Lives, hosted by a version of Shirley MacLaine. Now, if you know what Shirley MacLaine is, in real life, she was a strong believer in reincarnation. So she's there at the building of reincarnation. The scenes of past lives are hilarious. In in a nutshell, you go to this place, you put your hand on this device, and then project it up in front of you is one of your past lives. And some of those are just hilarious. And I'm not going to give them away because I'm not going to ruin it for you because, hey, you want to you want to be surprised on your own. But I know for a fact, if that was me, I'd be hanging out in that room all the time. That'd be so cool to say, ha ha, look at me. I was this in the past life. I was that or whatever it is or who you were. That would just be a hoot. And I'm not going to lie. I hope that thing exists. That'd be a blast. Sign me up. But it's just real fun to watch the little romance between Daniel and Julia you know, grow as they get to know each other. But as the proceedings near their conclusions, Daniel is starting to get really worried that he won't be moving on. Because Julia, on the other hand, is getting standing ovations. People are crying in the court, just like going, wow, we need to take a break. This is just too much. We Let's have an intermission here, all based on her you know, life experience, and he's feeling so inadequate going, wait a minute, I'm doomed. I'm, I'm going to be sent back again to try to get over everything. Oh, not good. In the ending, I think you really enjoy. 
But defending your life is loaded with humor and things that, you know, to think about if you choose to. The performances are great. Meryl Streep is always spot on. She creates such a great character that's grounded and believable and fun. Rip Torn just owns every scene he's in. That guy is a legend. I can't say enough about his acting chops. I mean, just the best. Now, Albert Brooks directs a a seemingly simple idea into a movie that you could really sink your teeth into. He was able to avoid so many possible religious or biblical distractions that would have taken the humor out of it. He walked that perfect line. Because, man, I'd love the afterworld to be like that. Keep the religious stuff for another movie. Just entertain me and make me laugh. And Albert Brooks threaded that that needle perfectly. If you want a good laugh with a great cast, you can't go too terribly wrong with defending your life. But up next, we have the 1969 masterpiece, The Wild Bunch. This is the tagline for the movie. An aging group of outlaws look for one last big score as the traditional American West is disappearing around them. Here's a trailer for The Wild Bunch. And just note, this is from 1969, so the trailer is wildly different than what we see in trailers today. But it needs to be played because it really captures that time. Here's that trailer. The Wild West was pretty well tamed by 1930. I saw one just like it in Waco. Hey, fight, you know what I hear? I hear they take over those things up north, they can fly! Ah, uh, that was a balloon, you damned old fool. No, the old man's right. They got motors, wings, go 60 miles in less than an hour. Driven to the border by the irresistible thrust of civilization were the remnants of the breed that had made the West wild. If they move, kill them. The payrolls were harder to get at. The army rode the railroad now. There were still a few trails for the kind who'd be cold before they were tamed. They called them the Wild Bunch. Pike had been a gentleman of principle. He still had a principle or two. We're not getting rid of anybody. We're going to stick together just like it used to be. When you side with a man, you stay with him. And if you can't do that, you're like some animal. You're finished. Dutch had dug for gold. He gave up digging. How many cases did you take from the train? Sixteen cases of rifles. We lost one on the trail. He stole it. Thornton should have been a lawyer. Always argued. Oh! Relax, it's just some champagne we ordered. Sykes had been a gunman in his day. He still had the gun. We, we, we gotta get him back! How? Gorch had been trying for years. Sometimes he almost worked up to normal. I want you to meet my fiance. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
See what I'm saying? You don't hear trailers like that today. But if you ever want to, watch the full trailer because you get to see more than you hear. Because during those pauses, they have names on the screen and they introduce a lot of the characters. So when you hear these you know, little pauses or whatever, that's what's happening. But now this phenomenal picture is directed by Sam Peckinpah. Now, if you're unfamiliar with his work, allow me. He started off in TV by directing an episode, Broken Arrow, in 1958, and then The Rifleman to Klondike in 1960 and 61, The Westerner, and then Route 66. He then directed the film Ride the High Country in 1962, then Major Dundee in 65, The Ballad of Cable Hogue, then in 1971, the incredible film starring Dustin Hoffman and Susan George, Straw Dogs. If you want to see a great movie, check that one out. Because there's a lot of people who debate. There's some very intense scenes in that movie. And people have been you know, debating back and forth what really was going on, what, what was symbolized and whatever. I, I won't get into it now, but Straw Dogs was an incredible film. Back in 1971. Then he made Junior Bonner in The Getaway in 1972. Pat Garrett in Billy the Kid in 73. This guy just never stopped. He was just one after another. And I I love this title. Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. He made that in 1974. In 1975, The Killer Elite. 1977, The Cross of Iron. And then, some may suggest, I'm not saying this is true... His hard living life began to catch up to him a little bit when he made the 1978 film Convoy with Chris Christopherson. Now, I saw this in the theaters, and, you know, I didn't know much about movies at the time, but, you know, it was fun. A bunch of truckers driving down the road, and, it, you know, whatever it was. But allegedly, there was a lot of conflict on that set due to drinking and misunderstandings and, you know, a lot of fighting. Then, in 1983, he directed his last film, The Osterman Weekend. Sadly, though, after that, all he directed were a couple music videos for Julian Lennon. And you might remember this one. One of them was Too Late for Goodbyes. Eh, Rather fitting, I suppose. But let's talk about The Wild Bunch. These guys were a bunch of guys trying to adapt to the changing modern world of 1913. The film was very controversial because of the graphic violence. You know, because what he did was, for the first time ever, he put blood packets inside of people's clothing. He put firecrackers inside of them, and then he set them off, so they exploded. Not much before then did anybody ever depict that violence that way. They just showed people falling down. Not him. He went all in. He actually like put a firecracker inside of a snake to show, you know, to say somebody was shooting it, you know, and exploded. He was a ground groundbreaking guy. He just he didn't he didn't care what it took. He did it. From his use of multi-camera, quick editing, slow motion, that stuff wasn't done. But he did it. And these shots are so beautiful. They're operatic. They're just fun to watch. And you could see, and I'll say later on too, how many, you know, today's directors are influenced 
by his work. Now, among the several awards this film has received, one of the most impressive honors came in 1999. The Library of Congress selected it for preservation in the United States National Film Registry. It has been ranked 80th in the American Film Institute 100 Best Films and 69th in the Most Thrilling Films. Now, from the opening scene to the explosive conclusion, the Wild Bunch grabs you and doesn't let go. So many directors name this film as an influence in their career. When you watch The Wild Bunch, you can see how much it influenced Quentin Tarantino. That opening scene as the guys ride into town before robbing the bank is magical. So much is happening, and the tone is perfect. As they ride past a group of kids playing on the road, here they are. You think, oh, hey, they're just playing on the road. And then they zoom in, and they're, they're, they're pushing this scorpion into this like mass pile of ants, whether it be fire ants, army ants, whatever they are. Here they are making this, this scorpion try to kill all these you know ants. But in the process, he's killing himself because he keeps striking him and striking him and striking him. And they're just laughing and giggling all along. There's so much being said in that scene. It's just incredible. This scene can be dissected and analyzed on so many levels. And it's just one of the many shots that has something to say, but leaves it up to you to unpack it or not. And also, the soundtrack is incredible. But at the same time, the whole scene is interjected with, they like do this freeze frame. They, they zoom in on them and it, it freezes. So many directors have done that since. And it has such impact. And it's done so well. Then they walk into the bank and people are talking here and there. But then the tone is set when Pike, William Holden, delivers a line, and you heard it in the trailer, if they move, kill him. And then, bam, immediate freeze frame on his face. It's just brilliant. So they rob the bank and use a parade that's walking by as cover. And as they're walking out, there's a group of hired bounty hunters that have been deputized across the street on the rooftops. And they start firing at him. So this whole gunfight kicks off. And it's just mayhem. People falling off the, the roofs and innocent bystanders getting shot. It's a wonderfully shot sequence. As chaos engulfs a small town, most of the gang survives. Only to find out it was a setup. The bags were full of washers. Now after they escape, they realize their former partner, friend, Deke Thornton, was helping the bounty hunters. Now, but in his defense, in the movie, he was in prison because, you know, he got caught earlier, you know, in the past. And they give him a deal. You help hunt these guys down and we'll set you free. So, you know, in a sense, you can't blame the guy. So they head to Mexico to a town of one of the fellow survivors of that bank robbery. His name is Angel. So they go there, they hang out, they party, they rest, and they find out the town is controlled by a brutal officer in the Mexican Federal Army. They then meet up with that general, but unfortunately, Angel sees his former girlfriend in the guy's arms. He shoots her dead. Not the best move, but Pike, played by William Holden, diffuses the situation by offering to work for him. 
So as you can imagine, things get way out of control from there on out. But I want to make something very clear. This movie is so much more than an action-packed western. The Wild Bunch is packed with so much more. It has heart, and it talks about friendship, loyalty, dedication. It deals with loss and the idea that the world is passing you by, and there's nothing you can do about it. You can, however, control how you confront that reality. In every frame of this movie, you can feel the the, the reality, the the bond between the actors, you can feel the dirt in your teeth. It is so well shot. I mean, it really feels like you're there. It doesn't feel like a movie. It's one of those rare films where you're put in there with them. You feel part of the bunch. Now, several years ago, The Wild Bunch was re-released in the theaters for a very short you know, period of time. And I'm, <laughs> I pounced on that. That opportunity was not going to you know, pass me by. And it was the director's cut, so there was more additional footage to really flush out the story. And I could honestly tell you, it's a moment I won't soon forget. But there's one more thing I want to talk about. It's the incredible, explosive conclusion to The Wild Bunch. I mean, it is it is famous for this scene. It's like an opera of violence, beautifully choreographed, like a ballet of bullets in carnage. But here's the thing. Once again, snuck inside that poetic mayhem is a powerful message if you choose to see it. I mean, you really can't miss it if you if you look. But it mirrors the beginning of the film, that scene with the kids forcing that scorpion into that pile of ants. It's trying to defend itself, but in doing that, it's killing itself. It's an ending about an end of an era, about the world finally moving on beyond you in the passing of the torch of violence to the next generation. If you really look at this film, it's so much more than what you think it's about. And it's just one of those movies I will never get tired of watching. You know, every time it's on TV or if I I get a wild hair, I'm like, yeah, I'm an, it's a wild bunch night. It's just a magnificent film that says so much. And it's just a movie that you really need to see. I know. A lot of you might say, it's a Western. I don't do Westerns, but it's more than a Western. It's just about life. Well, I hope you enjoyed our in-depth look at Defending Your Life in the Wild Bunch. Now, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, any way to improve the show, please let me know, cinemajudge at hotmail.com or Instagram, the cinemajudge, or Twitter, cinemajudge, because I can't fix if I don't know what's broken. I want to grow, but I don't know if you don't let me know. But now, if you want to watch some of the TV versions of these, go to Bloomington, Minnesota's webpage. That's BLM, as in Bloomington, dot MN, backward slash BTV dash shows, and type in Cinema Judge. A whole lot of shows will show up. You know, I've been doing this now, the show for over 20 years in Bloomington, Minnesota, as a cable access show. There's not 20 years worth, but there's a lot of shows. So if you're interested in that, check it out. And now it's time for the shout outs. Everything from here on out is me thanking you, the listeners, and stuff like that. There's nothing more about the movies we're talking about today. So for all you listeners who stay around for shout outs, this is for you. Every one of you all around the world, I hope my voice finds you well. For you know those who are listening 
going to work, at work, sitting at home, doing the dishes, doing the laundry, whatever you're doing, I hope your world is going well. And I really appreciate you listening. Wherever, whenever, or whatever you're doing, this is for you. To all my listeners from the United States, United Kingdom, in Germany, France, Canada, and so many more, I am very, very grateful. Minneapolis, Minnesota, St. Paul, Minnesota, Rosemount, Minnesota, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Raleigh, North Carolina, Newark, New Jersey. Thank you so much. I know how much, you know, how busy you are in taking time out of your life to listen to this show. I am very, very grateful. Annandale, Virginia. Thanks, Virginia. Every episode. Pasadena, California. Again, you always stop by. I am so grateful. Holyoke, Mass. Again, you guys, so consistent. Every one of you who tune in every week, no matter what I do, I am so grateful that I could share movies with you and you want to, you know, listen. Chaska, Minnesota. West, Brunswick, Sandwell, is that? Well, thank you very much. Invergrove Heights, Minnesota. Purim, Minnesota. And, like always, Frankfurt and Maine Hess. All of you, you take time to listen to this show all over the world. And I love thinking about that. You know, are you listening in the daytime, the afternoon, you know, at home, whatever you're doing? It's so cool because <laughs> I say this, but I am not kidding. Every time, you know, I'm looking on my phone or the computer, hey, who, who listened recently? And I see someplace show up. I'm like, wow, somebody out there, I, you know, I don't even know who you are. I don't know anybody who lives in some of these places. I'm like, you love movies like I do. You rock. Thanks for making my day for listening to this show. It's wonderful. And this week's special bourbon toast goes out to my friend Rich. We have, like so many, the, like in this movie that we just talked about, The Wild Bunch, it's about friendship. I've known this guy since elementary school. <laughs> the, the, the stuff that we've shared together is, well, we can't mention here, but it's, it's just so fun to realize how, what great memories we've had. Cause just a few days ago, I talked to him on the phone late at night. It, it got long and drawn out, but that's, what's great. That's what friendship is. We were able to talk about the past, the present and all that stuff. So I am so grateful to you, Rich, for hey, listening to the show and still putting up with my shenanigans after all these years because it's been one heck of a ride and this is for you. Cheers. But now it's music time. Now, obviously, this one I didn't do, I had zero editing to do. I just threw on a couple of trailers and that doesn't count as editing. So I... I didn't listen to tunes when I was making this episode. It was just me talking about these two films. But, you know, during the week I was rolling over in my head what to, you know, talk about because I didn't think I was going to get a press kit for, you know, any you know anything new. And that happens sometimes because occasionally there's movies that are so big that come out that nobody wants to compete with them. So nobody puts out a movie for that week. And you're like, oh, come on, guys. Dude, there's other people who want to see other movies. But occasionally that happens because a movie is so big, they don't want to compete. That all being said, I was preparing that in my head. I'm like, okay, 
what what am I going to talk about this week? And, you know, and I've been rolling around in my head for the longest time, both these movies, because I really, really enjoy them both. And I go, well, they're, they're so different. I'll put both these two different movies in one episode because somebody might be more inter, you know, interested into a, you know, a comedy, you know, slightly romantic movie compared to a, you know, a Western. Not everybody likes either one of those, you know, exclusively, but I figured, hey, I'll put them both together because both these films have meant so much to me. So like the last week before this, you know, I was, you know, playing a lot of tunes for my, it's not, it's not a one hit wonders thing. It's more of a several hits wonder, you know, playlist I, I created on my, you know, Amazon Unlimited Music. So while I was listening to that one hit or several hit wonders, you know, catalog deal, I came along the song, Do You Realize by the Flaming Lips. And that is such a great song. But it reminded me of a certain time in my life. I was working two full-time jobs, several part-time jobs, and I was just worn out. I was just beat. You know, was that just one job? And that's, you know, that song, you know, came came over the loudspeaker. When you work in retail, you know, how they, they play the same thing over and over, and every month or so they, they switch it. Well, during this time, that song was on there. And I remember just waiting for it because I loved it. And I sat there, okay, you know, it's, it's retail. So I, I tried to like maybe hide in the corner <laughs> when, that song, when that song was being played because it was just, I was so tired and just exhausted. I just wanted to sit back and enjoy that song. But that being said, that just reminded me of that location, who I was working with at that time. And there was these, a group of people that I, I I started working with and they were working together for a long time before I joined them. So I was kind of an outsider. But there is this, these two people, I'll call them Frank. I just love the name Frank. You know, those who know Frank out there understand. But Frank and Nicole. And while I call, the reason I call her Nicole doesn't really matter. But I remember sitting back watching these two. These two were just meant to be together. It was like, come on. This this Nicole, she would just laugh at this guy. And he they were talking about movies, music, whatever it was. But nobody made her react the way that he did. And I remember telling him, dude, Frank, why don't you ask her out? But he's like, nah, nah, I, I don't want to ruin the work deal. And, you know, she's way out of my league. Like, yeah, clearly she's stunning and intelligent and funny. But do you see how she reacts to you? Anyway, in the end, you know, he never made the move. He never, you know, said anything to her. And, you know, who knows what she would have thought either way. And to this day, they're both very, very happy. I mean, they have very successful lives and they're doing great things. And this was well over 20 years ago. But I was always wondering, man, I wonder, I just wonder what would have happened if that would have happened. So when I hear that song, Do You Realize by the Flaming Lips, I think of that moment, my that time in my life where I'm like thinking, come on, you two, you can do it. But that's the way it is. Well, that is it. My glass is, well, it was empty. Then I refilled it a little bit. 
But I'm thirsty, so cheers to you and to the movies. So until next time, be well, be good, and I'm gone. I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening to The Cinema Judge.